This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. When a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or, or within the vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought of it themselves. themselves. He just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sparky in about every conceivable place you could imagine, which we would cause dump. They'd wait until everybody was locked up and he would open his door and run down to cell one and get a bugler can full of Sparky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. All right, welcome everybody to a very special edition of Stool Pigeon Saturday. Today we have a uh, investigator from the Idaho Department of Corrections Special Investigation Unit named Matt Gamble. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hi. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I guess first off, we want to know who are you? Where are you from? Um, so yeah, my name is Matt, um, and I, I do I work for the Department of Correction, um, and uh, I'm one of those rare people that don't work in a prison. So. Yeah. You tell me what you want to know, and I'll tell you all about it. All right. Well, when did you start with Idaho Department of Corrections? I've been with the department twice. Okay. Uh, I was a correctional officer briefly back in 2001. And, man, that is that is a rough job. I have a huge amount of respect for our correctional officers because mm-hmm. it's a very difficult, uh, sometimes dangerous, and always tedious job. They do great work and deal with terrible things that the public don't know about. Um, so all of that being said, I was broke as a joke. And back then the pay was, it's, it isn't terrible now. It was terrible then. And as soon as I got a better job, I left there. I went to work for uh, Ada County uh, Juvenile Detention, believe it or not, back in the day. Um, and uh, was in the juvenile correction system for a couple of years. Uh, and then I came back to the Department of Correction in 2006 as a probation and parole agent. Yeah, so that's kind of my, my history. What what sort of training did you have, like as a correctional officer, when you very first started? Did you have any sort of training? Yeah, uh, back then they were running a correctional officer academy at Gowan Field, and uh, I remember going to that, and uh, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was kind of the basics, um, you know, and it was it was interesting because my understanding is they used to run the correctional officer academy here at the site, mm-hmm. here at the, uh, the penitentiary, and I actually know guys that went through that academy, yeah. some of the older guys. And so, yeah, we had a basic training, but this was uh, before the Idaho Post uh, was involved in the training of correctional officers. It was all in-house. Uh, so it was just in-house training. I think it was, I want to say it was three weeks long. Okay. You know, and just some basic stuff. Uh, talked about con games and, you know, how to not be manipulated and self-defense, things like that. Uh, qualified on firearms. Uh, you know, honestly, it was... It was what it was. It's kind of interesting. I think it's been a lot more. It's the the job has changed a lot and it's been professionalized quite a bit here in Idaho in the last you know twenty years. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, as you were walking in this morning, you kind of jokingly talked about some of the training with some of the 
the guns? What what did you get trained on originally? Uh, so as a correctional officer, you know, you qualify on a variety of firearms. Um, I know in the prisons these days, they use rifles, shotguns, and pistols. And I remember having to qualify with each one of those. I believe now, depending on staffing, and it, and it changes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I do for the department as well is I'm a firearms instructor. Uh-huh. I've been doing that for quite a few years. And I think with our correctional officers, uh, it depends on their post, whether or not they qualify with firearms, that sort of thing. Uh, all of our probation and parole officers uh, nowadays are armed and uh, uniform staff, which wasn't the case when I first started. In fact, when I, when I, when I first started as a probation and parole officer, uh, my trainer, who ended up as one of our chiefs and, and just recently left the agency, uh, looked at me and was, I'm like, man, I don't have any gear or anything. He, he reaches under the seat of his Ford Taurus and he finds a, a can of OC spray and he's like, here you go. Uh, we've had this one rolling around for a while. You can have that. And I'm like, okay. Great. So we just straight went to work. Um, and uh, I had a caseload long before I ever went to Idaho Post. Uh, so now our probation and parole officers go to the Post Academy mm-hmm. and do a, uh, man, I'm not sure how long it is now. I was Post Academy 2, mm-hmm. and they're well past that now. But I think it's, I want to say it's a 12-week academy, mm-hmm. pretty intensive. Uh, very similar to a police academy. Uh, the defensive tactics, the uh, firearms, all those sorts of things are exactly the same, really, mm-hmm. as your average patrol officer. What they don't need to know and don't learn are things like vehicle operations or uh, traffic laws, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. You know. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Did you have any exciting moments when you were a correctional officer? Or it... Well, as a CO, I was only out there for a couple of months. So going back to my history a little bit. Yeah. So I was a probation and parole officer from 06 to 14. So I did that for eight years. Wow. Uh, and then I promoted to my current job as an investigator, which is, believe it or not, my actual job title as an uh, investigator. It's, it's a state job title, believe it or not. That's the coolest. That's like a dream. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I, I got very lucky to get into the position that I'm in. There's only yeah. a couple of us. Uh-huh. So those eight years as a PO were fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I worked as a drug court probation officer uh, in the 80 County Drug Court for a year, which was interesting. Wow. Gave me a real insight into drug users and uh, the addiction kind of process mm-hmm. and recovery process. And just, you know, I was fascinated to run into people that, um, you know, had these very difficult, disorganized lives that had been really affected by drug abuse. And when you would talk to them, they may not know you know, a lot of what was going on, they may, may be uh, really struggling in most areas of their lives, but they could tell you exactly how many of whatever clonopin or whatever pill it was they had in what pocket or what purse, you know. I spent a lot of time wow. doing that. So, and from there I ended up, the, the best job that I had with the department up until this point, uh, I, I enjoy what I do now, but as a probation and parole agent, I worked for five years as a uh, satellite officer up in Eagle. And so I had a little office about the size of our recording studio here. It actually reminds me a lot of it. And it was just me. I was in charge of everything. And um, it was super fun because I had very little supervision, which, you know, is good and bad. Uh, I tried not to get in trouble. Uh, But but the interesting thing about that caseload is that I I not only covered all of Eagle and Star, which is a fairly, uh, you know, it's a fairly well-off area, you know. And, and it was interesting because I think the largest home I ever supervised somebody in in Eagle was like 8,000 square feet. You know, you pull up and you're parking by the fountain. You're like, all right. And we were just a little bit out of place. You know, you jump out of your car and you're dressed up. You know, you're wearing a duty belt and a badge. And people are like, who is this guy? Yeah. Right? 
But then I also encompassed all of Boise County. And if you're familiar with Idaho City at all, Horseshoe mm-hmm. Bend, Loman, yeah. uh, cover that whole area from the Eagle office. And so there were days where I would travel, you know, 90 miles to see a guy. Wow. Super wow. fun. Yeah. Super fascinating. Got paid to just wander through beautiful country, yeah. occasionally deal with very strange people. Yeah. Um, and just, it's, it's a fascinating job because the job of a parole agent is, is just interesting. I mean, the, the vast majority of people on pro is any of this interesting i know oh. you can edit that out is this okay yeah okay. no totally yes so so the vast majority of, of of the job of a parole agent is uh actually as a probation officer for the courts mm-hmm. so in idaho uh there's a lot of sentencing options that the judges have the vast majority of people convicted of felonies are placed on felony probation yeah. and so the these parole agents work for the parole commission well they work for the department of correction but but the sentencing authorities that they deal with are either the parole commission or the district court. And so a vast amount of your time is spent on probationers. I'm going to guess we're at about 15,000 in our offender population supervised in the community. And that's about, in contrast, almost exactly twice the number we have in prison. Yeah, which yeah. Is about behind the walls versus yeah, yeah. who's outside being watched. Yeah. So I think when people think of the Department of Correction, they think of the you know 1,200 correctional officers that supervise about 9,000 inmates in our prisons. And that's absolutely a huge part of our, our, all we do, and, and, and a vast yeah. majority of, of our employee and our resources go into that. But what they don't and aren't as aware of is the 250-some-odd probation and parole agents that supervise those remainder the vast majority of people so if 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 in idaho 250 is that what you said it's about 250 station statewide uh probably i mean they could be up a little bit from there i didn't check my stats they've had a few more positions they might be a 270 i know it's under i I would i think it's under 300 and if you do some research you'll have to fix me because i haven't checked what it is lately but yeah yeah, that's give or take what we have and they're always hiring these Mm -hmm. days but if you can imagine, if uh, everybody who was convicted of a felony in Idaho was sent to prison, <laughs> we would have. There's have just it's impossible whole... to do that. Yeah. So the, the, yeah. that felony probation piece is, is just huge, and it's it's very. Um, you know, I don't think most folks realize what goes into all of that. You know, and then there's the the post prison portion of supervision, which is parolees. Uh, that's a smaller group it's a different group you know um you don't get a lot of 19 or 20 year old kids in that group a lot of those folks have been to prison have more extensive criminal histories probably have more violence those sorts of things though you'd be surprised people get placed on felony probation in idaho for armed robbery attempted strangulation domestic violence absolutely sex offenses lots and lots of folks end up with uh, sex offenses there's another portion of that uh are you familiar with the rider program at all uh, a little bit. So the, the colloquially we call it a writer program. What it really is is it's a retained jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So a retained jurisdiction is when that district court judge says, okay, you've been convicted of a felony. I don't love your chances on probation. I'm going to send you to prison on a trial basis. And if you do well in prison, and, yeah. and the Department of Correction runs our writer program as kind of a treatment function. Mm-hmm. We have a sex offender version, and then we have, you know, we try to specialize, you know, in drug addiction, those kinds of things. Yeah. You go in, you do your program, you're treated just like an inmate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in three, six, nine months or a year, the district judge can elect to see you again. Yeah. And if you go back and see your judge and he and you get good reports, he's going to put you out on felony probation. Okay. So that's what that is. Yeah. 
it's a blended kind of thing. Now, if you had messed that up, then the judge is going to relinquish jurisdiction. And what that means is you are now in the custody of the Department of Correction. And at that point, it's the parole commission that decides if you get out the other end. Gotcha. Does okay. that make sense? So you transition yeah. from the district court to the parole commission. Yeah, yeah. How long is that writer typically? Um, you know, they've changed it. It used to be a 180-day writer. I believe now uh, the code was recently changed. I think they can do it for up to a year. Okay. So the judge could take someone he considers a you know, a fairly significant offender, send them off to prison for up to a year and then still release them back to felony probation. Okay. Yeah, kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people go on riders. I, I can't speak to, to their success rate. I, I don't have those numbers and it's probably not my place anyway. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's it's definitely a, an option the courts use. So. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, uh, you asked me one question and you got a whole spew on I, sentencing in Idaho. That's that's what people want to hear about, though. Like, I would not know this otherwise. You right. Know? So this is this is great. This is exactly what I was hoping for. All right. What got you into corrections in the first place? Uh, you know, I always thought I wanted to be uh, just a cop or a police officer okay. or whatever, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I was, well, let's go back. So I'm living in eastern Idaho as a young guy. And uh, I need a job. <laughs> I'm right. looking for work. <laughs> and I'm going to school over there. And uh, I applied at a, a juvenile detention center just kind of like, uh-huh. hey, I'm a criminal justice student. Maybe you guys will hire me. And for whatever reason, they did. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of never got back out of it. It just, uh, you know, I mean, for whatever reason. And and the thing is, is that I've, I've, uh, I've found that the work of uh, the corrections does is just such an integral part of the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, oh, you know, man. a judge can sentence all the people he wants. Yeah. I mean, I guess he can send them off to prison and that's fine. Uh, but eventually we're going to run out of space. Mm-hmm. Right. And the cops can arrest anybody they want, put them in jail yeah. and you know, they don't have to worry about it after that. Right. Yeah. But what happens to all of those people? I mean, the day to day work, of supervising and managing mm-hmm. sometimes high-risk offenders in the community comes down to probation and parole. Yeah. And there's this interesting dichotomy because, you know, that's the only job I've ever had where I could sit and and have this motivational interview, which is actually a technique, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to motivationally interview somebody, try to build a relationship with them, convince them to do things that they don't want to do, and maybe yeah. grandma's been telling them to do forever. Hopefully I can do it. I don't know. <laughs> but you get these young guys especially. And I, and I used to have a lot, I get a lot of satisfaction out of trying to uh, see them make better choices and having them do well. And then, you know, a few minutes later, you can be dealing with a violent person. You can be in a fight. You can be making yeah. an arrest. You can be transporting. You can be doing all these sorts of things. You can be pointing right. a gun at somebody later that day, right? And so it's, it's just an yeah. interesting thing. You know, mm-hmm. our, our probation and parole officers in Idaho arrest felons every day. Yeah. And, you know, these guys know they're going to prison. It can be a very dangerous job. It's just it's just a really interesting dichotomy. Did, can you talk about one of those exciting days that you remember? <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, as a, as a PO, I had a few. I think the scariest thing I ever did as a probation and parole officer was go into a house looking for a guy that was avoiding us. This was back in the good old days when, uh, when I first started as a PO, they gave you a little tiny badge uh-huh. and no uniform. And so we all kind of dressed like, you know, like the city cops to show up and not know who the bad guys were. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. But, yeah, I mean, we, we were very kind of loosey-goosey. It wasn't until about 2009 that they started putting people in uniform. So the okay. first couple of years that I was a PO, 
there were not a lot of rules and you could, you know, we'd show up and, uh, you know, if, uh, if somebody wasn't home, we'd go through a window because the thing about yeah. being on probation or parole is that you've waived your rights to search. Mm-hmm. So a city cop shows up to your house, knocks on the door and you say, Hey, you can't come in here. That's fine. You tell that to me, it's a violation of your parole. And now you're under arrest. I'm not only going to come in, but I'm yeah. going to find whatever you have and yeah. we're going to do whatever we're going to do. So we would, uh, uh, we entered this house and, uh, my partner and I, and we, uh, I go back in the back bedroom and I'm looking at, and I, I realize there's a guy sitting on the couch and he's just, or sitting on a bed and he's mm-hmm. sitting up in bed and he's just staring at me. I'm like, that's weird. I start trying to talk to him and he's not, he's not responding normally. He's not kind of doing what I would, he's not, he's just, you know, everything that about him is he's nervous and he's, he's, this guy's sketching me out. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> so I get up and start talking to him and I'm like, man, I don't know who you are. I'm going to path search you make sure you don't have guns on you. Yeah. Okay. And that's when the fight was on, man. So I clamped down on his wrists and we're rolling around and as I'm, as I'm trying to get this guy into handcuffs, because our policies allow us to detain people in a house to determine who they are. We don't know if that person is on felony supervision themselves. We don't Mm -hmm. know if they're up to criminal activity. And so we have a fair amount of of leeway to be able to do that and Mm -hmm. figure out who a guy is. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm rolling around with this guy, and I'm yelling, hey, Casey, come help me, right? <laughs> and uh, so as I'm rolling around, these shotgun shells start rolling out of his shorts pocket. Oh, that's a bad indication. That's evidence of something not good. Uh, and so anyway, I never let go of his wrists, and I'm glad. So we ended up handcuffing him, and we're searching him, and he's got an ankle monitor on him. I'm like, hey, who is this guy? Yeah. So it turned out that he was a federal probationer that had uh, was not supposed to be where he was at. <laughs> He was oh. supposed to be home on his ankle monitor. Oh, boy. Okay. And he was on uh, on federal probation, which is a different criminal justice system yeah. that operates here in Idaho. Yeah. And uh, he had been sentenced for possession of a firearm by a felon. And so we go over to the bed, and we're looking at it, and we realized he had been sitting on a pistol that was loaded. There was a, there was a sawed-off shotgun under the bed. The backpack that was sitting next to him was full of ammunition. This guy liked his guns. And so when he reached into his pocket to get his ID, he could have just as easily come out with a firearm. Yeah. And so we were, that was one of those where you drive home at night and you're like, oh, I'm glad that went good. Yeah, I feel good. I feel happy to be alive right now. Yeah. That went all right. That could have been oh. a lot worse. Uh, and, and you really think through your tactics like, man, we could have done that differently. Yeah. And it, that changed. That actually was a turning point in what I did and the way that I behaved because it, it changed it just changed the way that I approach people, and it, it gave mm-hmm. me a little more of uh, insight into into the, the possibilities that are out there. So, yeah. it was it was an that was an interesting experience. Wow. You know? interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting yeah. experience. Yeah. It, it, it definitely got your adrenaline up. Yeah. So. Well, you you're clearly like you have so much experience. You're just so calm and collected. I can only imagine. Like, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I can also yell myself hoarse. So yeah. that's happened too. <laughs> not, not wow. at somebody, but I mean, in a, in a, uh, trying to give directions. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. So any idea of what he was planning with all of this? And Who knows? What he was uh, doing they were using methamphetamine. House? I mean, the girl uh, in the house had drugs on her. I mean, everybody gotcha. went to jail. Yeah. And uh, that, he yeah. went to federal prison. I think he did four or five years for that because he can't wow. possess firearms. Jeez. You know, so everybody, everybody won in the end, mm-hmm. except the guy with the gun. But that was good. <laughs> in the federal system, is it still the same sort of ratio? Like federal system's different. Uh, yeah. They don't have as many cases. Uh, their probation and parole officers are a little bit different. Uh, their probation officers they work for the court. I mean, I'm not an expert, but in the federal yeah. system, the judge sets 
not only prison time, but they also set supervised release time after the fact. Okay. So the, the, the feds don't have an old school parole commission the way we do. Right. And yeah. so they get pre and post supervision guys. They also do uh, pre-trial supervision in that system. I have a few friends that have gone from us to them. They pay better. A little bit different supervision strategy. It's much more formal. They don't have arrest powers. I mean, they're armed, but they don't don't go hands-on with their people if they can avoid it. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that is done by the U.S. Marshal Service for them. So it's less of a law enforcement function than the Idaho system. Yeah. And what's interesting is is if you go from state to state, like if you go on the American Probation and Parole Association website, they used to have a survey they'd done of state agencies and how they supervised people at, at varying levels in different states. Like if I go to Wyoming, uh-huh. I can do this exact same job without a firearm. Yeah. So if you can imagine, you know, you're running around Cheyenne or someplace dealing with the same people without the same tools. Uh, it's just very different. And every state yeah. is a little different. Yeah. In some states, you know, a probation and parole officer is considered a police officer. And in other states, like in Texas, it's a complete social work job. There's, there's no law enforcement function to it at all. Okay. So, yeah, there's a real variety around the country yeah. and around from you know, place to place. And then there's the misdemeanor probation, which is a county function in Idaho. Mm-hmm. There's even private providers that do that in a couple of counties around yeah. here. So, yeah, there's just a real variety of things that you can go do. But. Yeah. <clears throat> do you find that Idaho's system is pretty effective for most offenders? Or? Oh, boy, I have no idea. That's yeah, an interesting I question guess. to answer. Yeah, you're just uh, like a tiny little blip. In just a tiny blip. Of, you yeah. know? And, and let, me, let me preface or, or go back a little bit. I've been out of the probation and parole job right. for six years. Yeah. Uh, my current position is as an investigator with the Special Investigations Unit. And uh, so we're part of the director's office, and we do a variety of things at his request. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an investigator with uh, my unit that is our internal affairs guy, and he does all staff misconduct cases. Oh. So his job is to investigate uses of force, fraternization, contraband, all yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, we're also in charge of trying to keep drugs out of our prisons. Right. So I'll occasionally go interview a, a, a visitor that's bringing in drugs, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they go to jail. We'll, we'll find their drugs, and they're, that's a bad idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Public service announcement, it's a bad felony to bring drugs into a prison, and if anybody asks you to do right. that, they're not your friend. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think it was just recently in the news where somebody was sneaking in meth, like soaked postcards or something. Yes, that's a huge problem. Happens oh, all the time. Gosh. Uh, we we have uh, we have a concerted effort to keep those things out. We work mm-hmm. very hard at it, but inmates have time on their hands. Yes. And there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. There's yeah. a vast amount of money involved. Things are much more expensive in prison than outside mm-hmm. of prison. So the same amount of drugs on the street is worth a lot more in a facility. Oh, so that's that's a huge driver yeah. of some of that sort of stuff. Wow. Talking about your current position as an investigator, how did you transfer into this unit, and what was your training like? Uh, you know, so it's interesting. The department has had a an interesting history with um, the uh, fugitive unit. So we've had it, and we've not had it. Currently, we have two of us assigned to it, myself and my partner. And so because there's only a couple of us, we work with a lot of agencies. We work with our probation and parole officers. We, we involve a lot of other folks in what we're doing. The way that I got into it is uh, I was a probation officer up in Eagle, and I'll be honest, my – I can't – I would use different terms. But basically, my give-a-damn was a little broke. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. uh, I had a caseload of 120 people. A lot of DUI offenders, a lot of drug mm-hmm. offenders, um, and I was getting real tired of trying to convince people to do well. 
It can be very emotionally taxing, and it can be very mentally taxing. There's a lot of concern there. There's also a lot of liability. If you don't do these things right, you're not necessarily... I mean, you want to follow policy and do those things, but there's always that concern, like, what if I miss something? Right. Yeah. You know, what if, uh, what, if I, what if I didn't figure out what somebody was up to? What if somebody gets hurt? What if, what if, what if? I think our sex offender officers can really speak to that. You know, there's a lot of, oh, man, am I doing this correctly? And, and there's been cases of, of people being, you know, sued personally and agencies yeah. sued for failure to supervise. So there's a lot of that. So anyway, I, I was at a point where I was, I was needing to do something different. Yeah. And uh, an opportunity came up. We had, they had started our fugitive unit back up a couple of years before one of the gals was leaving. And so there was an opportunity to apply and I just happened to. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I went through the interview process and whatever and was chosen. But... It's just, That's great. it's pretty unusual to get that position because there just aren't that many of them. Right. It's not really a career track. It's yeah. one of those things like if I leave, then somebody else would be wanting to take my position. Uh-huh. And when we hired my current partner a couple of years ago, uh, it took, man, there was a lot of applicants. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you have to have a certain skill set to come into it because there isn't basic training for this job. This yeah. is something that you learn as you go along. Okay. Um, you know, we're, yeah. I have a post-certification, right, as a mm-hmm. probation and parole agent. We have all those sorts of things. We're taught to make arrests and, and do all the functions that, that happen there. But as far as the investigative piece, yeah. that's something we've learned as we've gone along. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, well, can you walk us through like an average low-key day? Sure. You know. So we're responsible for a variety of things. I'm on call all the mm-hmm. time, which okay. doesn't isn't as bad as it sounds because I only get called out a few times a year. Mm-hmm. But every time there's a, uh, a walk away from one of our work release centers or a job, we have a lot of inmates working in the community. Yeah. There's a good chance your Subway sandwich artist sleeps at one of our correctional facilities mm-hmm. at night. In fact, a lot of our car dealers, same way. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of these guys that, that are out and they have pretty good jobs. But anyway, most of our escapes these days are actual walkaways from mm-hmm. work release centers, you know, usually from the job. Uh, every once in a while, we'll have somebody walk away from one of our minimum security. We just had a couple yeah. of gals take off from our women's prison recently yeah. uh, we have a very secure prison in Pocatello for women but uh, here in Idaho the women's prison that we have I mean here in the Boise area I should say the women's prison that we have is minimum security doesn't have a fence you know there's a lot of opportunity to leave if you want yeah. to and, and so they made it down to like they made it out in the brush of ways yeah 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 poor girls that yeah. wasn't a very well-planned escape yeah uh, yeah, it didn't last very long. Most of them don't. Yeah. Um, I currently have two escapees that I haven't oh. been able to locate. One is the one that I contacted you about, who's probably dead. Yeah. And the other one is uh, a young fellow by the name of Frank C. Smith, who I believe is somewhere in Oregon, but I haven't found him yet. Interesting. When did he? Escape? Twenty. I want to say twenty fifteen. He's been outstanding for quite a while. He walked away from the St. Anthony work camp. Oh. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's been interesting. He's he's kind of one that's on my back burner one of these days. Yeah. Well, any listeners out there? Absolutely. If you know Frank C. Smith, uh, you can go to our website. We have our most wanted on the DOC website. You see a picture of him. Yeah. If you know the fellow, let me know. Oh. Wow. Uh, absolutely. You can send me an anonymous email on there. We get a lot of anonymous tips, and that's very helpful to us. Oh, I so, yeah, going back, the vast majority of our fugitives, though, are actually absconded parolees. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that's a parolee who is supposed to be reporting in, supposed to report his address, and that probation and parole officer has not been able to locate the young fellow. Yeah. 
And so all of those warrants come to us. And at any given time, there's about 250, 260 outstanding parolees. And then they might be scattered across the country. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to focus our efforts on those that are uh, have violent criminal histories. Um, our sex offenders are top priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work very hard to make sure those guys are supervised properly. Because when they reoffend, it's not a bag of dope. It's not a stolen car stereo. Right. Right, it's yeah. it's an injured person, and mm-hmm. so we get very you know our domestic violence offenders are the same way. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, our domestic offender, uh, violence guys are. It's interesting because we can usually find whatever girlfriend they found again easier than them, because yeah. that's their pattern. Right. right. Yeah. So if you could find the girlfriend, you can find the guy. Oh yeah. Oh. So you asked me what I, what an average day is. Yeah. Um, you can see I'm I'm. This is my uniform, which uh-huh. is nothing more than a T-shirt. Yeah. And we uh, we work in unmarked cars, and we wander around. And I shouldn't say we wander around. Right. <laughs> we, we develop a game plan and go through somebody's file. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about the department, too, is that we have a vast trove of criminal intelligence because our record-keeping system has information from pre-sentence reports. It has all those sorts of things. And your average law enforcement agency doesn't have access to those sorts of things. Like, right. there isn't a database you can go to that will tell you who somebody's mom or girlfriend is. Oh, but gosh. I have one. Yeah. You know? Oh. And so we, <laughs> because this stuff gets reported mm-hmm. uh, through their, their the course of their supervision. So we wow. usually know a fair amount about the people we're looking for. That's wild. Yeah. Um, and then we'll come up with a game plan, the best way that we're going to locate these folks. So there's really two functions. There's the investigative function where we're developing sources of information, mm-hmm. gathering tips, gathering information, doing record searches, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, we can subpoena records. We can do a lot of things. Uh, and then there's the apprehension piece of our job, which is how do you safely arrest somebody? You know what I mean? And uh, that can vary depending on the person, the situation, where they're located, who's involved. I mean, there's just so many things. Some of our arrests look like kidnappings. In fact, we just joke that we're professional kidnappers. I don't know (laughs) if we'll leave that in or not, but it's pretty funny. Uh, Because if you can imagine a guy like me, and my my partner's a big guy that looks, you know, he's a big bearded guy too. Uh But if you can imagine a couple of us just wandering up to you, and letting you know who we are, yeah, and and literally just handcuffing you. Wow, <laughs> we do do that sometimes do, do, do when it works well. Police get called every once in a while to like report a kidnapping. Well, what we'll like, do oh, no. is we we we've learned, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we're cautious. Uh, we make sure the dispatch knows who we are. Good. You know, we have access to our. Law, we're on law enforcement channels and radios. We do all those sorts of things, and so you know they know what we're doing. Okay. But the average public might be like, "That was weird." Yeah. Hmm. But if we do it right, they don't notice. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, good All right. But, I mean, we've, we've had a variety of situations. I mean, in the last year, we've, uh, we've had two different uh, fugitives attempt to run us over. Oh, um, we've, uh, you know, we've arrested these folks, and they've been charged with serious crimes. Yeah. That happens not often, but sometimes it does. Yeah. You know, a lot of – what's really interesting, too, about the MA population, especially the pro-lee population, is they kind of know the rules. Yeah. And it's almost like we're all parts of the system, and they know I'm just doing my job, and they're doing their job. Their job is to go out and be a criminal and use drugs and do whatever they want to do, and yeah. that's going to continue until it stops. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting. I mean, we had a, a really funny one a while ago. It's a young man that we've arrested before. We know him really well. I remember him from the juvenile system. Jeez. He's been around so long. Yeah. I won't share his name, obviously, but <laughs> my partner's name is TJ. So that'll help with the. 
So TJ and I find this guy outside of a seedy hotel in, uh, in Boise. And uh, we're watching him, and he's, he's going to climb into a car with a group of people. And so we just roll up to him. Hey, man, how you doing? Time to go to jail. Like, we're pretty low-key about it. And I'm like, hey, get on the ground. And he laid down like he was going to take a nap. I've never seen a guy so comfortable on the pavement. Like, he laid down on that asphalt. He's like, oh, man. Ah, this again. <laughs> oh. So we put him in the car, and he's starting to go to sleep. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Are you nodding off from drugs? What's going on? He's like, man, I haven't slept in three days. Because he's been using math. And I'm like, when was the last time you ate, dude? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, oh, so, I mean, for him, he was actually, he was like, I'm actually pretty relieved. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of glad that I'm going back. I can't quit using drugs. I'm not doing well. That cycle, yeah. You know, and, and that, this particular individual has a history of uh, pharmacy robberies. So he was somebody we really wanted to find. You know, it's, we don't want him out robbing the Walgreens right. while he's on parole. Nothing, so, nothing changed. Like nothing changed. You know. The stories that we tell sound like the things that. <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed. I mean, yeah. not really. I mean, it has, but it hasn't. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, you know, the vast majority of offenders are not violent, but mm-hmm. there are people in that system that are very, very dangerous folks. But there's also folks that are just more sad than dangerous, right. misguided, yeah. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we find that a ton too, in all these stories that we have. Just, oh yeah. Oh, you yeah. had everything going against you, you know, of course. You're going to yeah. take this easy route, forge a check, you know, do something like that. And, hey, man, in Idaho, oh, 14 yeah. years is what you can get for grand theft. Oh, my And it's God. not that hard to get a grand theft conviction, oh. right? Yeah. Possession of controlled substance is, is mm-hmm. you know, like a five-year felony, seven-year felony. Yeah. Possession with a tense, a 10-year felony. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of long sentences and people that, that are in the system for a long time. Right. And they oh. come in and out and in and out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I've been around long enough, I remember some of them as teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I'll run into people and they're like, oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. Good reunion yeah. uh, here. It's time to, time to do what we're going to do here. It's time to go to jail, whatever. You know? <laughs> and do you deal with both the male and female population? Or Yeah, oh, we do. Okay. Yep. We've, uh, in fact, we've gotten into some pretty interesting scrapes with some females. That yeah. were very, uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the folks that attempted to run us down recently, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, very nearly was shot. We, we could have justified killing her, and we didn't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we try really hard, obviously, not to do that. Right. But um, she was a 50-year-old lady. She's an outlier. She's interesting. She has a very long and very violent criminal history. That's why yeah. we're looking for her. But you don't find too many women that have been convicted of armed robbery and aggravated right. assault and possession of firearms and who also happen to be grandmas. <laughs> She, it was an interesting oh, experience. Um, that was that was out in Hawaii County, out in the woods, with uh, not too many folks around. So, wow, it's super yeah, fun. Yeah, it's, I, let me tell you, it is so much fun. I, yeah. I have the funnest job in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get to run around, play secret agent, arrest people, take them to jail. You right. know, we have all of these things we get to do, and sometimes we get to make a real difference because. Yeah. If if uh, if we go in and arrest an offender who has found another victim, which is like I said, going back to our domestic violence folks, mm-hmm. uh, that's there's a real sense of like, ah, we took care of something that needed to be taken care of because yeah. this is somebody who obviously can't do this themselves. They yeah, can't get this right. violent person out of their lives. You know what I mean? And so we're able to collect him and remove him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so there's there's those things. Uh, arresting sex offenders, I always feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. there's. 
there's folks that need to be supervised and they need to be held accountable. And uh, so that's what I enjoy about my current job is that it's it's very much a law enforcement function. We, yeah. you know, we kind of joke that we're we're putting people back in prison while everybody else is trying to rehabilitate them <laughs> and get them out of prison. But I think that even though that sounds counterintuitive, there's a there's a real need for that accountability. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody is able to just thumb their nose at the courts and say, hey, I'm not going to do what I'm told, and there's no enforcement action taken, yeah. then none of the other stuff works. Yeah. You know, so. Why, what's the point? What's it's the like point? a warehouse. And, right, yeah. And they yeah. get out and reoffend. And, yeah. That's the job in a nutshell. It's a lot of fun. What do you think Idaho could do to help the population of offenders and parolees, like, be more successful when they are released? You know, yeah, I, the folks that do well are those that are gainfully employed and that mm-hmm. they stay off substances. Honestly, if if it wasn't for controlled substances, if it wasn't for methamphetamine and heroin, we would have a much smaller criminal justice system, right? Yeah. Now, I, I don't advocate legalizing those things because I think that uh, you can see examples of that in our current area, even in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. where it results in just widespread you know, really sad addiction. So there's got to be somewhere in the middle. I think the more that we provide treatment opportunities, the better off we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, treatment's difficult because getting clean from substances is a very difficult thing. It takes a lot of support and it takes a lot of resources that people just don't have. Mm-hmm. It also takes a certain willingness that folks just don't have. Right. Um, it's my personal belief that, uh, you know, most Substance abuse stems from trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history of the vast majority of folks that are in our facilities, they have been raised in a way, you know, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of good people with good families. You know, I say good, I mean pro-social. Mm-hmm. And their kids make these choices. But there's a lot of folks that didn't have a lot of that coming up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've, they're victims of child abuse, you know, sexual, physical abuse, those kinds of things. And I think that results in substance abuse. So, honestly, I think the best thing we can do is put more resources into our communities at the beginning than at the end, right? Because yeah. what we right. do right now is we try to fix people long after they're broken. Uh-huh. And I kind of joke, but can you imagine, you know, uh, so here's a probation and parole agent, just this earnest, mm-hmm. you know, young person, young lady, young man that's, you know, maybe was an intern a year ago. He's gung-ho. He's been to the academy. He's going to get it done. And he sits down across from a 50-year-old man yeah. who's been using drugs his whole life, who's been stealing to support that habit his whole life, who doesn't really have a family anymore, mm-hmm. doesn't really have a support function anymore. Yeah. And now this you're supposed to convince this guy that it's time to change. Right. And that's a challenge. Yeah. It's a huge challenge. You know what I mean? And you're up against just a ton. Mm-hmm. The guy can change if he wants to, but maybe maybe yeah. he's not going to. So like you know preventative. I mean? is I, yeah, I mean, going back to that, I, I think that if we could do a better job on the on the other end of protecting our children and, mm-hmm. and doing a better job at, uh, at helping folks um, access resources coming up, you know, I, uh, one of the few things that's been shown to truly affect later in life criminality is early childhood interventions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this real trend for a while there of scare straight programs for kids and that kind of stuff. They don't do those things because they don't work. Right. They don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They sound good. They're kind of fun. Yeah. You know, they make good little reality TV type <laughs> blips, but it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the things that do affect and, uh, 
you know, I mean, there's plenty of folks at Boise State, I'm sure that can speak to this better than me. But if you take young folks and get them involved early in the education system, preschool education, those sorts of things, after school programs, all those sorts of things that help folks have access to resources, access to stable adults, access mm-hmm. to those things, then as they go up, as they go along, they make better choices and they avoid that, that system. I mean, there's yeah. so many folks that land in the correction system or in the criminal justice system because they, you know, make that decision to start using substances and, you know, maybe that's their culture, maybe their mm-hmm. parents were involved in that, right? You know what I mean? So I think I think if it were if in a perfect world, I would put more resources into the front end than the back end. Yeah. You know, yeah. but we have what we have now, so. Man, that's great, yeah. yeah that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like everybody that we've talked to has that same thing. It's just like, I, I wish there wasn't so much need for us in the back end that, yeah, there's more resources at the beginning to prevent yeah. this ha- from happening in the first place. Yeah. You know, it's easier to prevent that. pain than to cure it, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's just kind of how it is. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there anything you wish more listeners, citizens would know about uh, Idaho Department of Corrections in general? You know, I think there's a stereotype of, of our correctional officers, our probation and parole agents, that somehow they're in this for the power and the control and the fun and blah, 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 blah. The reality is is a lot of these folks are just really hardworking people that want to try to make a difference. And and they're earnest in their in what they're doing. Right. And, and the other thing, too, is that they're part of a system that they have some control over, but not everything. Yeah. Um, and so it's easy to blame that CO or to blame that probation and parole agent who arrested you or whatever. The reality is, is that they are part of the same system that the, the offenders are, right? Mm-hmm. Like I used to tell probationers, hey, man, this is not my contract with the judge. This is your contract with the judge, mm-hmm. okay? So the judge said, hey, I can put you in prison for umpteen years. But instead, you're going to sign this con- this behavior contract, you know, just like you were in elementary school. Here's your behavior contract. You yeah. don't drink. You don't whatever you're gonna do, right? Uh-huh. And my job is to coach you through that. I will try to help connect you to resources. I'll try to help, uh, you know, help you navigate this system. We can do all of that. So you and I can be a team. We can make this thing happen. You can get through probation. You never have to go to jail ever again. Right. On the other hand, the judge also expects me to hold you accountable, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think that if if people would would recognize that role could have a better understanding of kind of the forces that push both directions. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't know if that makes any sense. but Oh, no, totally. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think that, uh, and folks need to really know too, boy, if you read the comment section on any article in Idaho about prisons, you'll hear all about how marijuana puts everybody in prison. Yeah. For the record, people go to prison for marijuana. Right. <laughs> There's people in prison for trafficking marijuana. Mm-hmm. Okay. But are there people in prison for possession, like simple possession of marijuana? No, it's not a thing. No, it's not a thing. It's a ticket. Right. You know what I mean? It's just it's not a thing. And so uh, that just that stuff just drives me nuts because it's a mis- misconception. The people that land in prison in Idaho have, with rare exception, had the opportunity at probation. They've had the opportunity at that contract I just mm-hmm. talked about. They've had the chance to try to make these choices, and they've chosen not to. Right. And so when it comes down to it, people make choices, and choices have consequences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's not to say that uh, everything that happens uh, is fair or perfect or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're dealing with humans, but it is what it is. Yeah. So. 
Well, uh, do you have any future goals with Idaho Environment Corrections? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in an interesting place that so there isn't a fixed career track or anything mm-hmm. like that. I enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I could see myself doing this until I retire. That being said, I don't know. I mean, I can also see myself going back to uh, the, the probation and parole world. I don't know that I could I could work as a as a line staff officer anymore. I, I think my give a damn might still be broken a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Not really. I just I, I would I would rather be able to mentor folks than to uh, do that actual work. So I mean I, I could see that happening at some mm-hmm. point maybe. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what the world brings, what the future brings, right? Yeah, you're enjoying what you're doing right now. I am. You know, Until the, you don't, and then you'll find something, and yeah. Yeah, if I can do a little PSA <laughs> for for the uh, for the the world of community corrections, I yes. mean, you know, it's if someone is interested in this line of work, that is one of the places that you can have a true effect, mm-hmm. and you can do really good work. You can protect the community, you can assist offenders, you can do all of these things, and and wear all of these different hats. The other thing that they have going for them is, honestly, is there's no shift work. Mm. You know, as a, as a PO, you set your own schedule. As long as you work your hours, you have a lot of autonomy. You have a, the ability to make decisions and choices and do your thing. I mean, currently, you know, my current job is very similar. I don't have a fixed schedule. I haven't missed a function with my kids in a long time. Wow. Which is rare in the law enforcement world. Jeez, you know, if you're working yeah. as a patrol officer, you're going to work thanksgiving and christmas and those sorts of things mm-hmm. and here you're not uh, now that being said the vast majority of our staff are correctional officers and those guys work shifts and they work really hard and they miss all kinds of things and they do mandatory overtime i can't say enough about how hard that job is and how mm-hmm. much i respect people that do it and do it well oh, yeah. um it's a very uh it's a very rough gig mm-hmm. working in a prison much yeah. much much rougher than folks realize yeah you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, man, thank you so much for all of your work at Idaho Department of Corrections. That's quite the career. You've bounced around. You've done so many different things, and you know, protected the public and everything else. Well, thanks for yeah. having me. I really, it's pretty interesting to talk about this stuff. You don't really yeah. think about it till I have to explain it to somebody else. And then I guess it is kind of a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it hasn't changed from what parole officers at this site were doing. You know, there's a little different technology, a little different techniques that they yeah. had here. But. Yeah, you know, interesting. Uh, there wasn't probation in Idaho until the 50s. Right, yeah. So it used to be prison was prison to prison. You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and there wasn't a formalized system. And so, uh-huh. yeah, that's it's a, it's a younger part of the agency, uh, but with a long history. Yeah. So... Well, anyway. thank you so much. Uh, sure. If, if I were to say, uh, do your own number, what would you say? Oh, what is it? What is it? Do your own time? Do yeah, your own, yeah, do your own time. <laughs> yeah, jeez. We might have to do that again. <laughs> All right, everybody, do your own time. Do your own number. Is that we'll right? see you next week. Oh, jeez. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.